glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Galatians 6.14, let me read this first, then we're going to read Exodus chapter 14. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom... The world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So in Exodus 13, where we're going, you read of the Passover in chapter 13. I already referenced some of these things. In chapter 13, you read of the Passover. In chapter 14, we'll read of what we're going to talk about today, their entrapment next to the Red Sea. So the Passover pictures the cross of Jesus Christ. And when the children of Israel took God at his word, slew the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of their door, demonstrating their faith in a substitute on their behalf, God passed over and he pardoned them and they were not judged with the rest of Egypt. As such, every door marked by the blood marked the nation of Israel and God said, I'm, I'm doing this. And he did this the night before their arrival. When the firstborn of the Egypt were killed, that was what it took to, for Pharaoh to say, you're released, I won't hold you any longer. You may go serve your God. They were given freedom, not just so they could roam the wilderness. They were given freedom so they could go and serve God. True freedom does not, is not freedom to do as I wish. True freedom is freedom to serve God as I was designed to do. And that's what the children of Israel was given in chapter 13. Chapter 14 demonstrates the truth of Galatians 6, that by that Passover lamb, what happened is God liberated them from Egypt, a picture of the world. But I mean, by world, I don't simply mean the globe. I don't simply mean the planet. I mean the world system we live in. I mean, understand the system we live in right now is governed by Satan, who is under the governance of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake. So Satan can do no more than the Lord Jesus Christ allows, but the Bible does call Satan the little g, God of this world. By that world, we mean that age of time between the fall of man in the garden and when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and implements his kingdom on this earth. His kingdom already is. It's just not in action and in force or enforcement. One may say, why does Jesus let Satan buy with what he's doing? 2 Peter 3 tells us that he's long-suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ is waiting that souls might be saved. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance. And it is for this reason that he tarries his return. It's not because uh, of any other other reason God is long-suffering. But may I say this, for the story we're going to look at, Egypt is a type of the world, a system that is under the control of an evil tyrant. You read about Pharaoh, you understand he was a very self-centered, self-promoting man who worshipped many gods. He was the rebel of all rebels. You know what? You find people glory in rebellion. What they're saying is me and the devil, we're in cahoots with each other. Rebellion was authored by Satan. He is the ultimate rebel. Pharaoh is a type of Satan wanting to enslave people for his own promotion. That's the devil. And the slavery of the nation of Israel is a picture of sin, So when I say world system, I mean a system that uses sin to bind people to serve the purpose of the one that's in charge. Satan binds people with sin because it promotes him. It glorifies him. It gives him a kingdom. And he doesn't care how many lives he destroys in the process. He's a destroyer. But in the midst of that Egypt that was governed by Pharaoh, a contest began. Who was greater, Jehovah God or Pharaoh? Pharaoh said, I'm greater. And God said, no, you're not. And I'm paraphrasing. Ten plagues later showed who was greater. Yes? In the end of this world, there's going to be a man rise up called the beast, and he's going to proclaim that he's God. And as God, he'll sit on the temple on the throne and say, I'm God. And God's going to show him who's greater. You know what Satan has been saying since his fall from heaven? I'm greater than God. I will be as the Most High. And God, in the midst of that vile nation called Egypt that enslaved God's people, God said, you're not going to keep my people against my will. And God, willing to liberate His people, moved in, provided a substitute so that they wouldn't be judged with the rest of Egypt and liberated them. But they had to figure out what that meant in a practical way. You know what the the, the children of Israel had been for 400 years? Slaves. That's all they knew. Just like the world for thousands of years knew nothing but being slaves to sin. From the Garden of Eden to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, man knew nothing but having to serve sin. 
Let me tell you today, if you desire liberation from the stranglehold of sin, it is available to you today. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to go live willy-nilly according to your lust. Freedom in Christ is the liberty to do right in service to God. And that liberty was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you don't have that liberty, you can. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. If you do have that liberty, know this today. If you've been born again, you have been liberated from what rules the rest of the world. And that's the text we're looking at today. And I hope that it will help bring some things into focus for us. May I just say this to our church body, church family. Bonners Ferry Baptist Church does not have to compromise with a sin-ridden world and conform to the world. We are free to serve God as a church. We were freed by the blood of Christ. We're empowered by His Holy Spirit. So there is application to the individual this morning and there is application to us as a church family. And so Exodus chapter 14, we're going to read the entire chapter, so bear with me. It's 31 verses. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Ziphon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. So they're by the Red Sea camping. The Pharaoh, uh, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So God, let's just get this clear. God tells them where to pitch camp. And he does it for the very purpose he is tricking Pharaoh into thinking that he's going to overcome them and take them back into bondage. So God has a plan from the word go, but only God knows that plan. (laughs) The people following God don't know what he's doing. He is intentionally making it look like they're trapped so that he can snare the enemy and show who God really is. Verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Verse 5, So they camped where God told them. Verse 5, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses. Now, they didn't say this to God, but they said it to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. All right, so here they are. I just want you to get the picture. The Egyptian army is behind them. What is in front of them? The Red Sea. And what does God say to do? Go forward. Well, that makes a lot of sense. There's the sea. Go into it. That's not what he said, is it? Did he say go into the sea or did he say go forward? Don't lose that. Go forward. God had determined their direction. Egypt was behind them. Canaan land was in front of them. And God says, keep going the way I've got you going. Go forward. Go away from the bondage of slavery. Go toward the land of Canaan. But God, there's just this one little problem. It's called the Red Sea. By the way, let me just say this before we move forward. There are those who say that the children of Israel crossed at the Reed Sea. It was only knee high. That is people calling God a liar. You don't get a wall of water on each side of you from knee high water. 
So here's what they did. You're going to see before the end of the chapter. You're familiar with this story. They crossed the Red Sea, but when God said go forward, guess what? The sea wasn't standing up. It was just out in front of them. And so then let's read on in verse 16. But lift up thy rod, thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came to between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. So it made darkness to the Egyptians and gave light to the people of God. Uh, so that no one, that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued uh, and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, who's he saving them from now? Not the death angel. He's saving them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is key to this message. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. May I say this? I believe this. After you get saved and the Spirit of God gives you assurance of that, there's a tremendous relief in the soul to know that I no longer have to fear the wrath of God. I can pillow my head tonight knowing that if I die... I'm not going to wake up in hell because my sins have been pardoned. The God who holds me accountable also offered me a pardon through faith in Jesus Christ. He promised whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 5, it tells me saved from what? Saved from wrath through Him. There is a great delight in the soul to say, Whoo, I'm glad that I'm not in trouble with God anymore. My conscience has been purged because I'm forgiven because of what Jesus Christ who he is and what he's done for me. But after you get that settled, the world says, well, you may have been spared the wrath of God, but you still have to serve us. There's a part of the Christian life where you have to figure out your relationship to the world that you live in. Most believers in America today don't ever seem to get a hold of this. And I won't rant on about Christianity in America, but I will just say this, we have a... We have a pandemic in our churches, and it's not COVID, it's carnality. Meaning, the world says, you're our slaves, and we say, well, that's right. That's exactly what they did. The Egyptians said, you belong to us. And Moses said, no, God wants us to go forward. And they said, no, we might as well just go back to Egypt. If we're going to die, at least we'll die slaves. That's all they'd known. All of the people that he's talking to, they were born slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. Their great-great-grandparents were slaves. That's all they ever known. When you were born, you were born with a nature to serve sin. Doesn't matter if you're born into a Christian home. Doesn't matter if you're born into a non-Christian home. The nature inside of you is an enslaved nature. How many of you ever remember as a child thinking, you know what, I don't like the way I feel when I lie, so I'm just going to stop. Good luck on that one. 
Next time when you're in trouble and you're tempted to lie, you don't remember the last time you decided to stop lying. You just lie because that'll get you out of trouble, right? Wrong. It gets you into more trouble. And then the next time you lie again, thinking next time it'll work. Slavery is bondage. Sin puts you in bondage. It makes no sense whatsoever. But we do it anyway. Sin is like a chain that's latched onto us that when we say, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this weight that I'm carrying around. I, I got this habit of sin, and I don't care what the habit is. Some are well-known, some are little-known. Your habit may be loving money and serving it and gambling or whatever you do. Your habit may be drinking, and your habit may be looking at things you should not. Well, I don't care. Sin is habituating. And sin always by and by ends up bringing weight and chafing us. And we say, you know, I think I want free from this thing. I think I want to enjoy the benefits of it, but I don't like the outcome. So I went free, and you go to walk free of it, and it pulls you back. So I'm never going to do that again. The last time I did that, that didn't work out real well. And so you purpose in your heart, I'll never sin again, and you do anyway. That's what Romans 7 is about. He says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good... I find not. If we didn't have Romans chapter 8 in our Bibles, we'd leave depressed. Because there's a law of sin and death in Romans 7. It says sin will bind you even when you don't want to commit it, you will anyway. But Romans 8 says, But the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There was a law that got implemented for the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 13, and that is, I'm going to free you from Egypt's hold on you. You don't have to serve them anymore. Here's the the crux to the message today. The person that has been liberated through the blood of Jesus Christ from the hold of Egypt on them is no longer a slave to sin. We no longer have to serve the lust of our eyes. We don't have to serve the lust of our flesh. We don't have to serve the pride of life. That's what Egypt operated on. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You, you study the buildings that the Jews were used to build. You know what that was about? Pharaoh saying, I am the most powerful man in the universe, and I'm going to use these people to prove it. You know what Satan's saying today? I'm the most powerful individual in the universe, and I'm going to use my slaves to prove it. I listened to a tidbit of, of uh, the radio yesterday, and some guy that calls himself a scientist, he is about as much a scientist as I am, is on the radio explaining black holes and white holes, and we think the Big Bang came from a white hole, some of you know what I'm talking about, string theory and all this stuff. And he's claiming to be a scientist, and boy, he waxes eloquent about how these things, and boy, he understands them. Then he throws in as a, just at the end, now the string theory has never been proven, we've never tested and proven it to be true, but we think it is. And we've never found a white hole in the universe, but we think that's where new universes come from. Brilliant. You know what Satan's doing? He's got that man on a string saying, I'm God, not him. Man is self-made. Humanism is out of the pits of hell. That's just the truth of it, friend. It is a religion that is a doctrine of the devil. Humanity can produce good no more than this pulpit can. We're dead in sin until Christ makes you alive. We don't have a little light burning in us making us good. Man is sinful by nature. That's what the Israelites were. But here in Exodus 14, God has pardoned them for their sins. A substitute was offered. He is now leading their lives. They are a picture of someone who knows they've been forgiven. Their sins are pardoned. But being told that I still have to serve this world system. I'll tell you again, I've been here in my own Christian life and you cannot live the Christian experience without having to go through this. The world telling you, well, God may be your Savior, but I'm still your master. My charge to you today is don't believe it. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Now, let's consider a few things about these children of Israel. We've established the typology. Egypt's a type of the world. Pharaoh's a type of Satan who is running the world. Sin is pictured by the bondage that the children of Israel had been in. But let me ask you something. As the children of Israel are marching at God's command, and they camp by the Red Sea, why, let's just break this down to its simplest form. Why did they go camp where they camped? God told them. So they're living what kind of life now? A life of slavery or a life of faith? God didn't grab them by the ear and drag them down with the Red Sea. They're simply doing what he tells them because they trust him. He said, go camp by the Red Sea. And the Bible says, and they did it. 
God put Moses to be his spokesman. And so he's there and they did it. But living a life of faith got him in a mess. Living by faith in God's word, letting God lead their life, got them in a mess. It trapped them. I'll say this. You won't live the Christian life without having to experience this at some point in time. Saying, well, I trusted God. I did what he said, but look where I'm at. Our faith has to be tested. It has to be put to the test how much you're going to trust me. So let's consider, again, four things about the children of Israel. As they're here, camp next to the Red Sea, and God says, go forward. Number one, their course. I've already been speaking of this, but their course, by that I mean they're marching from Egypt to where they are. The course was undoubtedly laid out by God. By this I mean they were without any question exactly where God wanted them to be. For those of you that gauge your life and find the will of God by determining the path of least difficulty, that has to be God's will. You'll never end up God's will. If you, if you determine God's will by anything other than God's word, meaning if I determine God's will by my emotions, if I determine God's will by the effect of my circumstances, well, this has to be the will of God because everything's working. Now, he said all things work together for good. It doesn't mean they always look like they work together for good. Yeah, you'll never live the life of faith that way. This course they're on, first of all, is a peculiar path. In Exodus chapter 13, I want to read there, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So the nearest route, the straightest path, the, the, the shortest distance to Canaan land, God said, we're not going that way. Although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. Here was God's purpose all along. I do not want my people back in Egypt ever again. By the way, they never went back. Once God saved them out, he never let them go back. It's a picture of eternal security in Christ. When God saves you out of the world, the Bible says no man can pluck you out of his hand. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. And so God says, I'm not going to take them the way of the Philistines, though that's near. If you and I were leading, that's what we would do. But verse 18, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed like an army out of the land of Egypt. So they went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt, verse 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by a night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Meaning this, Moses would tell the people, this is the way God wants us to go. And God made sure that he gave verification that it wasn't just Moses pulling stuff out of his hat. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to assure them that he had not forsaken them and to assure them they were in his will. The pillar of fire and the pillar of a cloud is a picture of this book we have and the Spirit of God He gives within our hearts when you're saved. He gives you His presence to assure you, I'm with you to lead you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says. But God's leadership was not the way anybody there would have led them. The Bible says He led them about, not through. So the land of the Philistines, that was the quickest path to get to Canaan land. Well, God said, that's not the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to take you the long way. Somebody should instruct God. You never, you never take long cuts, always shortcuts, right? I'll tell you something. The life of faith requires patience. We must learn to wait on God. I hope you'll hear me this morning. If you're not patient, you're going to get out of God's will. I didn't say, I'm talking to save people right now. If you don't wait on God, you'll replace God's plain leadership with our own. It's why Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7 is in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know what keep you out of trouble? Fear God. Let God lead the way. So he had, but his path was peculiar. He led them not through the, the shortest way. He led them the long way. Then he gets them down by the Red Sea and says, Camp here. Meaning God put them on a dead end. Brilliant. 
you, 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 you trust your GPS and you go where it says and all of a sudden you pull into a cul-de-sac and it says you've arrived. What? A few years ago when we were in Kentucky, we were there and, and visiting with my parents. We were supposed to go out to a camp and I trusted my GPS. Problem number one. I did everything it said. We're headed down a hill and all of a sudden my headlights hit water. Whoa, I put on the brakes. There's a river and no bridge. So we stopped. I promise you, I did not go forward. I went backward. You know why? I don't like driving through rivers in 15 passenger vans. That's not something I find fun. What happened is the GPS was wrong. It it was right. The camp was on the other side of that river. The GPS didn't know there wasn't a bridge. Now, I give you that illustration to help you understand the way the children of Israel felt. God led them. They knew they were doing exactly what God said. There's the Red Sea. And then they wake up in the morning and there's the Egyptians. Somebody blew it. No, nobody blew it. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. Trapped. Listen, God will direct in your life and in my life in such a way where he has to do something we can't do so that he gets the glory. Now, I know we would like to figure out how to live our lives without having to do that. We would like to micromanage our lives so God never has to do anything for us. That's called pride. But God put the children of Israel in such a position, he wanted to prove who he was to them, and he wanted to prove who he was to the Israelites. You know that God has complete capability of proving who he is. He doesn't need, all he needs us to do is trust him and obey him, and it'll prove who he is. So the course was peculiar, but it was plain. There's no doubt that pillar of a cloud led them down to the Red Sea. There's no doubt the pillar of fire led them there. There was no doubt in anybody's mind they had, they had gone exactly where God told them to go. And yet their circumstances made them scratch their head. It was a peculiar course, though it was a plain one. But it was a course of perplexity as well. Verse 10 of chapter 14 says this. It says, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were what? Sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So they cried out, God, what have you done? Let me ask you a question. God would eventually, before we end the story, take the cloud and move behind them to form a barrier between the Egyptians and the Israelites so that neither one of them could see each other all night. I'm just telling you, if I were the Lord, I would have done that first so the children of Israel would have never known the Egyptians were there. Would that have been better? Isn't it it unfortunate that God runs things and not us? (laughs) See, his ways are not as our ways. And his thoughts are not as our thoughts. The day you think you have figured out every way that God thinks and the way he'll do everything, God is predictable in that he'll always be righteous. But he's unpredictable in that we're not always righteous. The only thing that makes us miss what God is doing is we don't think the way he thinks. He thinks to honor the one who's worthy of honor. We don't think that way. We think easiest course, quickest course, most comfortable course, Uh, what's going to make things easier for me? God is giving them an opportunity to truly trust Him. The Egyptians come along behind. He could have concealed that from them, but He let them see the danger they were in. I remember a few years ago praying over this church and praying. I, I believe once a church becomes lukewarm, it's lying in its coffin. I believe that. I'm thinking, Lord, oh God, help us not get lukewarm. Churches in America are plagued with lukewarmness. And it began to be a fear creeping up in my heart as I could see the enemy on the horizon. You ever seen lukewarmness? You ever see it creeping in? Begin to pray. God reminded me that He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. Let me say this it is fear that'll take you back to Egypt, it is faith that'll move you forward. It is fear that will conform you to the world. The fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25, bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And so back to their course, it's peculiar. God's not led them the way you might think. It's plain though, it's very clear. God did lead them here, but it's perplexing because they got the enemy behind them and nowhere to go. These people are not trained warriors. These are slaves. They are not used to fighting the Egyptians. They're used to obeying them. Can I give you the analogy? When you get saved, you're not used to fighting lust. You're used to yielding to it. You're not used to saying no to your body. You're used to saying yes. 
And so all of a sudden when you're trapped into a position of life where you think, I don't have any choice. I've got to serve sin. There's nothing I can do. That's when God has an opportunity to help you. If you've been lost in sin, you don't know how to stand up to sin or you wouldn't need saved. Once you're saved, you get in such a position, you know that you're no longer a slave of Egypt, but the Egyptians are saying that you are. The world is telling you, you can't live a life of godliness. You can't live a life of holiness. You can't live right and pure and true and honest. Nobody can live that way. And your God is saying, yes, you can. Go forward. How? The whole world's against me. A Red Sea in front of me and an army behind me. That's where they were. A place, God put them in a place where they were literally between a rock and a hard place. It seems to me that's probably what was on their right and their left. They had their army behind them and the sea in front of them. Nowhere to go. The purpose, chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. God makes no mistakes. God does nothing on accident. How many ever done something and said, well, it's just what I thought? Some of my stupidest things in the world I've ever done. It was, well, I was, it was an impulse. That's, I just thought that's what I would do. Yeah, anybody else ever done that? Yeah, you're driving down the road and, you know, you're messing around with something, you nearly wreck your car because you thought, I want a drink of coffee. Uh, whatever. God doesn't do anything like that. Everything He does is with purpose and plan. He's wise and He never loses His mind, not for a moment like us. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say, he says, chapter 14, of the children of Israel. He said, If I put the children of Israel where it looks like they're trapped, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They're entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. See, Pharaoh had been lying to the Egyptians telling them that he was the Lord. And God wasn't going to let that stand. Pharaoh had been proclaiming that he was on the throne of God. And God says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to let Egypt know who the Lord is. I'm going to expose the lie of their leader. And he did. He showed, no, no, he's not Lord. I am. But here's what happens. He's showing, he wants, he wants it to look like the Egyptian or the Israelites are entrapped. Here's the problem. What got the, the Israelites in trouble is they believed what Pharaoh believed. Pharaoh looked at them and said, they're entangled in the land. They have no choice. I'm going to get them. And the Israelites thought, it's true. You and I should never believe what the world believes. We should believe what God says. God did not bring them out of Egypt to kill them. Look, God didn't save you so you could just fall back into a life of sin and degradation. He saved you out of that. He didn't save you so you can serve, be a, be a, a, a mark on Satan's chalkboard and say, look at there, I got another slave. No, friend, he, he saved you from that. Not to it, don't believe that lie. And so their course is peculiar and plain and perplexing, but purposeful. God put them in that position on purpose. This makes me think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation. That's a test. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. Is that not exactly what God was going to do? Use the very temptation, the entanglement in the land, so-called, to bring Pharaoh in, expose him and deal with him and give them ultimately the liberty that they needed to their course. Number two, their condition. In chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, we find they are distressed, disbelieving, and defensive of themselves. Verse 10 says, Thou shalt uh, therefore... Excuse me, chapter 14. That's chapter 13. Verse 10 of chapter 14. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses... Here's their distress and disbelief. Because there were no graves in Egypt. By the way, this is not the last time they would say this. Thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? Said so we were right and you were wrong. We told you, don't deliver us, leave us here. Just let us serve the Egyptians. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Interestingly enough, Jim and I were just talking about this on Thursday night. So there'll be, there'll be a point in the Christian life where it will seem like, you know, being lost is easier than being saved. You say, not me, Pastor. I'm a better Christian than that. Give her some time. 
If God's going to lead you, He's going to have to teach you that you can trust Him. And there's going to be moments He's going to lead you in a way that makes no sense. Can I put it to you this way? God had promised them freedom and they're trapped. God had promised them fruitfulness and they're in a wilderness. The moment of time they were in didn't add up with what they thought God was going to do. May I say this? How many of you understand the difference between a panoramic picture and a snapshot? Now, God has a full view of everything. And what we do is we take a snapshot and say, God has been unfaithful. He didn't do what he said. Hey, hey, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Here's what I'm trying to say. In a moment of time, moments after they left Egypt slavery, it looked like their expectation was freedom. And they're trapped. Their expectation was fruitfulness. And they're in a wilderness. There ain't a fruit tree anywhere. There are moments in your Christian life that look like, I was told, oh, trust in the Lord, live a life of faith, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. I'm looking at my life, it doesn't feel much like that. Where what you are experiencing does not equal what you expected. You with me? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You must have it deeply embedded in your soul. God will never steer you wrong. Never. Never. See, but, but I obeyed him. I, I've used this illustration. I don't want to overuse it. But boy, it's, it's troubling to me. The young man I sat with a few weeks ago, and I said, he's explaining, he's asking, why is it that I've asked God to deliver me and he hasn't done it? When I hear that question, I go, oh, mister, you're in trouble. What you're saying is God has failed you. You trusted him and he didn't do what you trusted him for. He said, I've asked him to please deliver me. And I know the Spirit of God reminded me of a willful act of disobedience that this man had committed and he let us know he had. I said, have you ever, um, the next time I met with him, have you ever confessed that to God as sin? I said, are you convinced that what you did was sin? I recalled it to his mind. He said, yeah, I know it's sin. I said, you ever confess that to God as sin? He said, no. I said, ask you, are you doing everything right now? That you, and he has a profession of faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. He says he's saved. I said, are you doing everything right now that you know he wants you to do by faith? He said, no. I said, you know what? Answered prayers are directly connected with an obedient life. By the way, that's Bible. It's First John chapter 3. That's John chapter 15. And he said, but there was a time when I was obeying God and he wasn't answering my prayer then either. You know what he's saying? I've trusted God's word, and God let me down. Unless that man can get some repentance about that issue, he has got a rough road ahead. God has not failed that man. Listen to me carefully this morning. I'll say this on the authority of God's word. You will not truly trust God and ever be disappointed. You say, well, I've trusted him. I've been disappointed. Then either you didn't trust or you've not waited long enough. God is always good. There are moments it may not look like it. There are moments when it may look like he's failed. I remember in my teens getting disgruntled with the way of Christ, meaning the way of holiness, the way of separation, the way of devotion to God's word, the way of obedience, the way of holiness. I I remember thinking, it doesn't work. You, You do right and you end up miserable. Now, how did such a thought creep into my mind? My experience didn't match my expectation. If you ask me in that moment, Pastor, when you got that disappointment with God, were you walking with Him daily? No, there were other things way more important to me right then than praying. Things like mm, playing games and um, I don't even remember what else. My point is this. I didn't maintain my fellowship with the Lord and it gave Satan an opportunity to slip in and get me to think like the world instead of like a child of God. And what happened is I began to get disappointed. That's where the children of Israel are. They are distressed. They're disappointed with God. They are disbelieving of His promises. He had promised to liberate them. Unlike Abraham, who had come to the point where he could say, if God told me to kill my son, then He must be going to resurrect him because God promised that He'll make me a great nation. And He doesn't lie. So I'll kill Isaac and God will still make me a great nation. Doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to obey Him anyway. These people said, God's way isn't right because we're trapped. They're disappointed with God. And who are they defending? They said, did we not say, Moses, you should have listened to us instead of us listening to you. When we defend our wisdom and our way, we're out of sorts. Are you with me? So this morning, their course, peculiar, 
plain, perplexing, and purposeful. God had a plan in it. But their condition is because their course didn't make sense to them, because they did not understand the wisdom of God. See, when you don't understand the wisdom of God, trust His character. Don't miss what I just said. If you don't understand God's wisdom, trust His character. He'll never do wrong. And here, they're not trusting God's character, and they take it out on Moses. You misled us. You led me to believe. Why, I hear a lot of folks today ripping and railing on preachers and pastors. Yeah, we were taught to live a separated life, and we were told this, and boy, was that disappointing. Well, either that pastor preached false doctrine, or they quit trusting God. But God's way is still the right way. Yeah. So their condition was one of disappointment, distress, and disbelief, and they were defensive. They said, did we not say it was better for us to stay in Egypt? What they're saying is, we followed God out to this place. It would have been better for us not to follow Him at all than to end up like this. And that's, of course, wrong thinking. And thirdly, we find not only their course and their condition, but then their commandment in verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, the first thing he says is, Fear ye not. Fear ye not. Can I just say this to you this morning? God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And he's also not given us the spirit of fear. By that dread, uh, the, 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 the constant dread of destruction. No, no, that's, that's God's not given us the spirit of fear. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Moses, first thing he says is, fear you not, stand still. Meaning, calm down and watch what God will do. Fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. You shall see them again no more forever. Here, listen closely. Here's someone who's closer to God than they are. Moses has been walking with God for 40 years. He's a little closer than they are. He's learned more than they have. And this has a number of applications. You have around you more mature Christians. Listen, the Bible says, Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, First Peter chapter 5. God's economy is listen to the mature Christian in your life who's walking with God, whose faith follow. As they trust God, you follow. God won't lead them wrong. But Moses is also a type of Christ who knows the very heart and mind of God because he is God. And as you and I listen to the Holy Spirit of God and through the Scripture and to the people he's put in our lives, he's going to say, hey, hey, I know God. If you'll wait on him, he will not disappoint you. That's what he's saying. And so he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, the children of the, uh, the Egyptians that you've seen, you'll see them no more forever. By the way, did the children of Israel ever see the Egyptians again? Not in this fashion. Last time they see them, they were laying dead on the seashore, and that was it. No more. They crossed the Red Sea, and the, children, the Egyptians never bothered them again. They'd have to deal with Philistines and Amalekites and other types, but not the Egyptians. And so he says, you'll see them no more forever. Verse 16, uh, excuse me, verse um, uh, 14, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Meaning, God will fight this battle. God will fight for you. He's going to have to do something here you cannot do for yourself. You don't have to go fight him. God will fight for you. Number three, or excuse me, the, the commandment, and number two, uh, there's divine peace, verses 13 and 14. Then God gave a divine path, verse 15, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me. I don't know what Moses cried, but he cried out after the people cried out. God says, now's not a time for crying. It's time for you to do something. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Meaning you tell them go in the direction of the Red Sea. Now, God is going to require, and this is where the heart of the message is, and we'll be done shortly. God, when he's leading your life, is going to require you to take steps of obedience when you cannot explain how it's going to work out but you're going to move at his command simply because he commanded it. And forward is this. Forward is a direction. Their back was against Egypt. Listen, if you're saved this morning, God has turned your back on the world. You are no longer loyal to this world system of sin, of lust and pride. Your back is turned on that and God says, step away from it. A step forward with God. A step forward in obedience. And here's what a step is. God tells me to do something and I do it because he says. Period. I do what God says because God says that's faith. Is it not? Why are you moving forward? Because God said to. Don't you know there's a Red Sea right there? We're not worried about that. God said go forward. God will take you in a direction and you'll say it won't work. Listen to me, please. 
I, I guarantee you, this is the impression of my heart in preparing for this message. I believe there are decisions that the Holy Spirit of God has been prompting people in the, under the sound of my voice right now to make. And you're not making it not because God's will is not clear, but because you cannot explain how doing what God says will work. If I do what God says, that, that there's no way forward. There's no way forward. But God said, go forward. And God did not say part the Red Sea. God did not say walk on water. God said go forward. Meaning God told them to do something they could do. You with me? He didn't tell Moses, you personally blow hard on the Red Sea and make it part. You know what Moses had to do? He said, you lift your rod and I'll part the Red Sea. You lift your rod and that'll part the Red Sea. Well, how many of you have ever lifted a rod? Isn't that hard? It's impossible. No, it's very possible. When you and I do what we can because God says, God will do what we can't. You say, I look at the life God calls me to live. I can't live it. You're right. You can't. So God's going to have to intervene on your behalf and empower you to. It's why Philippians 4.13 is in the Bible. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let me ask you something. If you went home today and you had no food in your pantry, no gas in your car, and no money in your wallet, could you be content with that? I'm talking about naturally speaking. I'm just here to tell you, not me. I would immediately say, okay, what can we do? I've got to apply for a job. I've got to do this. We have no bread. We have no money. And by the way, applying for a job, fine, that's okay. My point is this, how in the world do you learn to be content when you're sitting in jail for doing what is right? The next verse explains it. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The life, if you, the Christian life can be lived without dependence on God. It's not the Christian life. That's just us. It must be lived in dependence on His power, Him doing what we cannot do. So in the midst of the commandment, there's peace. Moses says, there's no need for you to be distressed. I know your circumstances look like you're hemmed in and that you have no choice but to yield back to the Egyptians or to drown in the sea. But you just be still and watch what God will do. And then there was a path laid out. God begins to do things differently than he had been. He moves behind them with the cloud and puts a barrier between them and the Egyptians because he knows the path in front of them is going to be really clear. It would not be hard to understand where to go once Moses lifts his rod. Reckon? <laughs> May I say this? You say, I just don't, I don't know. When God is leading you, he'll make your way plain. He'll make your way plain. Not through any way, but other than his word. When I have to blow by Bible principles to do what I want, that's not God leading. That's me leading. When I can operate inside of Bible principles, you see, thy word is a lamp unto my... How did the children of Israel know to go toward the Red Sea? Rocket science. God told them. How did they know to walk through it? God provided for them. And so this morning, when God's leading, it will be in accordance with His Word and by His Word. And, and so God says, forward. In that command to go forward, there was peace. There was a divine path made. There was a divine promise given. Verse 16, But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. By the way, did the children of Israel know God was telling Moses to divide the Red Sea? All they knew is God said, go forward. That's it. God gave them one commandment. Start walking forward. So divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. How many have ever seen, if you're a parent, you've seen this. You tell your toddler to do something and it's needful that they do it right away. And if, if it's a child that's being trained not to ask why all the time, you'll say do something, and instead of saying why, they just go. So you say, come here, and the child goes. Now, it's a good thing a Mack truck's not coming. May I say this? My dad used to say this all the time. The longer I live, the more I see the wisdom of it. If a child is constantly demanding explanation for what they're told to do, you don't give the explanation. That child is then saying, I will decide if I'm going to obey if I like what you're telling me and it makes sense. And then that's still rebellion. Now listen to me this morning. We often are like that with God. God says, this is the direction I want you to take. This is the decision I want you to make. 
I want you to step away from living according to the lust of your eyes, away from living according to the lust of your flesh, away from living for pride. That's Egypt. And I want you to live a life that is only lived in direct response to my commands. So when I say go forward, you don't have to explain what's going to happen to that sea. Just head toward it. Make sense? And we say, God, explain to me, what are you going to do when I start going forward? He just said, go forward. How many of you know this? In my mind, I understand right now, forward is toward that door. If someone says, go forward, is my, is my next decision complicated? You know what complicates it? It's not understanding what I'm supposed to do. It's not understanding what it looks like. All I've got to do is start doing this. It's saying, but what's going to happen when I get to the door? I don't understand what's going to happen when I get to the door. If I get to the door and you don't say, stop, I'm going to run into the door. And if I run into the door, it could break the glass and it might damage my face. And so I'm not going to start moving forward until you help tell me what's going to happen when I get up there. And here's what I'm saying. I believe there's probably some practical decisions in this room that need to be made this morning. You right now know spiritually what God is telling you to do. And it's forward. It's away from trusting your lust and trusting your pride and inflating pride. It is toward His will for your life of victory. And you say, but what's going to happen when I do it? Don't ask that. Just act in obedience. Just act in obedience. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Leave the results with Him. Step out in faith. Step in faith. Make the decision of obedience that needs to be made. And again, that could be a host of different decisions depending on where you are in your walk with the Lord. But there was a promise that God made to Moses, the leadership he put in their lives. He says, now Moses, when they go forward, you lift your rod and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to part the Red Sea and they're going to walk through it. But remember, the children of Israel didn't know that. All they knew was the direction God was telling them to go. Now, you think about the way the world lives their lives and the way that God would have us live our lives in conformity to Christ. Here's what forward is. Whatever takes you closer to Christ and being like Him and makes you less like the world and being like them, that's forward. So whether it's being in church, whether it is uh, putting away some sin out of your life, getting your priorities right when it comes to eternal spiritual things, the decision needs to be made. Well, how we'll pay our bills. I've seen people decide. I remember when the kings were coming here years ago, they were driving an hour and a half to church. Every service, they would come. Uh, they weren't moved up here yet. They were living in Heron. This was an hour, uh, 15, hour and a half. And they made the decision. You want? Know We've joined that church. We're going to assemble. And so they would come on Sunday. They'd go over to our house. They would stay the afternoon. They'd come back on Sunday night. They would drive home. They'd get up home at 1 in the morning. I don't know. He'd get up and go to work. And they did that for months. But they made the decision. I remember him making the decision, we're going to be in church. God paid the bills. We could use other people as an example. But the fact of the matter is, when you decide to go in the direction God's leading you, He'll do something you cannot do. But forward, faith takes you forward. Fear takes you back. It was fear that said, we've got to go back to Egypt. God says, no, you're not going back there. I don't want you going back to the world and conforming to that. I want you to go forward in a life of liberty and serving God. And so then there was a promise of divine protection. It takes courage to go forward by faith. The Bible says, Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Finally, we see their course, we've seen their condition, but in their command. Look, here's the people. Would you agree that the children of Israel were not in a good spiritual condition? Will we all agree on that? What got them out of their doubting, disgruntled, Self-defense mode, an act of obedience. God said forward, and they did it. Boy, I tell you, saints are to be applauded. Why do you have confidence in God? Because I obeyed Him and I saw that He's faithful. Well, that makes us heroes, doesn't it? No, that makes us children who trust our Father, it makes him the hero because that's he's God. So finally, their compliance in chapter 14, verses 21 through 31. The Bible says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, while this is not expressly articulated in words, it is absolutely there that God said, Go forward. They started going forward. And as they started going forward, God says, Lift your rod. Moses lifted his rod, and guess what happened? The sea parted. All of a sudden, God's will made sense. But help me now. When did it make sense? Before they obeyed or after? Please don't miss this. 
If you sit and say, when what God wants me to do makes sense, I'll do it. You'll stop doing it. It is faith that brings sight, not sight that brings faith. Faith brings sight, meaning I trust God's word enough to do what he says, and then God does what I cannot do, what only he can do. And so he gave, they, 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 they go the direction God says. They go toward the sea. God grants them deliverance. He says, lift your rod. I won't read it all again because you know the text. Moses lifts his rod. The sea parts. It doesn't say they went over on muddy ground. They went over on dry ground. And so they're delivered. And then finally, through this event, they are developed in their faith in the Lord. Look at verse 31. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Chapter 15 is the song of Moses rejoicing for what God has done. Some say, boy, I wish I could see God do great things in my life. I wish I could see God do great things. What we really sometimes mean is I wish I could do something great and get God's credit. We don't need to think that. But if in sincerity, if you're saved, you probably truly do say, I wish I could see God do something great. You know what it took for the children of Israel to see God do something great? This is, this is deep. This is what it took for them to see God do something great. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know what it's going to take in our lives to see God do something great? Make the next step of obedience. Make the next step of obedience. Whatever God has outlined in His Word that needs to be done. May I say this this morning? If you're here and God's Word has made something clear you ought to be doing and you say, you know, that's just not something that's important to me. You're hung up in the wilderness. <laughs> but in fact, if God's will is clear in front of me, it may be a conviction that you need to come to. You may be in the workplace. It may be a conviction. You say, you know what? I am going to decide I will never be deceitful in my work environment ever. So that's not a hard decision. It depends on where you work. You can lose your job for that. So I don't know how it would work. If I start telling the truth, my, my fellow employees will turn on me. We all cheat on our timesheets. But it's a, everybody knows it. You may need to be, you may, God may have been dealing with your heart about this, saying, you know what? You need to be honest at all times. You need to always be honest no matter what. If that's your step forward, take it. It won't work. It won't work. You obey God. See, this morning, the world says, no, you have to do it our way. You have to be deceitful. You have to be filthy. You have to be compromised. You have to have an defiled conscience. That's just the way the world is. It's the way the world is, but it's not the way God's people are. God says, forward, forward. You say, you know what? Like, see, God part a Red Sea for me. You've got to go toward it. You've got to go toward it. What direction has God set for you today? It's not to be like the world. It's to be distinct from the world. He's called us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This morning, maybe you're here, and you say, I don't know where I fit in all of this. It's likely, if you're not sure where you fit, you, you may fit back there, and you've not yet put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning, are you here? Do you have assurance that God, on the authority of His Word, has pardoned you for your sins? If not, you've got to let the Lord save you first to get you out of the world. The world are those people who are still in sin and will be judged when Christ returns, will be judged if they were to meet the Lord today. This morning, you may be a Christian here, and you say, I know exactly where I fit. I know exactly where I fit. I've allowed the Lord to lead my life, and where I've ended doesn't make sense to me. I can't make sense of it. I don't understand why. How, how am I here? Now, maybe you're off course. You may not have gotten where you are by obeying God. You may have disobeyed God. You've got, you got to repent and get back in God's will. If you're saved, but you're not in obedience, the step forward is obedience, whatever that is. It may be a host of things, as I've been saying. I, I don't use too many illustrations. We'll let the Spirit of God make that application. You say, no, I know where I fit. And maybe this morning you say, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen God do the miraculous when all I did was just obey Him. Some simple practical step of obedience. I couldn't see how it worked, but I obeyed and God blessed. If so, then let this, let this message instill confidence in you to keep serving the Lord and following His leadership. I mean, this morning, you don't, I don't actually lift your hands right now, but you'd say, I know right now. I know right now the next decision I need to make. I know what God wants me to do. I know it from His Word. He's been dealing with that. I know it, and I've not made it yet. A decision of obedience. 
Obedience will take you away from the world and nearer to the Lord. And if this morning you know that, this question, when should you go forward? Now, not later. I've got to think on it some more. The longer you think, the less faith you'll have. <laughs> if God's leading you forward, don't explain how it's going to work. Just obey His command. Mm-hmm.